Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within software as a service industry. Jamie, Jason, and KG and myself have over 100 years of making mistakes and would love to share them with you. This is uh, Revenue Ops with an Edge. Did I say that right, Carney? You did. Please subscribe to our newsletter, which can be found at sassholes.net in the bottom of uh, the podcast notes below. Today, we're going to continue our discussion on the journey from SDR to enterprise with more of a focus on how enterprise differs from the SDR, BDR. Uh, SDR, BDR, that's a, a sales development rep and business development rep, right? Uh, we got we to gotta decide on one name. I mean, every conversation no. I'm in is like, you have to say them both so everybody understands. We got well, to, as an industry, as a world, we got to decide. I know, but yeah. some, some people actually, some people actually make the distinction that true. SDR they do. They do. Is, is the is the outbound? Yep. They and do. then yep. BDRs is the inbound. Yeah. And and that ADRs are like you know dedicated just to a particular account because of this new thing called account based marketing (ABM). Any marketer would know that, Mister Ferrara. About um, bowel movement. This is why this is why I tell people though that like I love conversations like this but then I tell people you know no normal real person understands any of this it's right true. people get a job and they're like I don't know what it's called a BDR SDR ADR it's like we just got to you know I, it's a, anyway I I haven't solved that problem. It should just be but it's appointment yeah. centers right they're just appointment centers let's be honest well in some cases they are and in some cases they aren't I know, you know they get data and all that other stuff, but for the most part, their job is to set appointments, correct? I think we're still well, in the intro, aren't we, Pete? We're still yeah, we are. Intro. Sorry, That's, I jumped that... in on your intro because I'm all pissed about the title. You're itching. It's, it's great. I'm glad we're seeing some passion from you guys. This is great. Because we have an ad. This episode is brought to you by NeuroNoodle. Hey, parents of athletes, get a doodle of your noodle, a brain map before the season starts. Football is back, so you have a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a checkup before the season starts. Schedule an appointment now at neuronoodle.com. A lot of football camps have already uh, started. It takes only 20 minutes, parents, to get the data you need to ensure the quality of your athlete's future life. How about that? It's not just football, right? It could be soccer. It could be baseball. Most cheer, cheerleading. I mean, yeah, you know, they get tossed up there sometimes. Uh, they you know, their neck. kids have ADHD and they turn around. Carney, yeah, Pete. Arne. No laugh track this time. <laughs> no oh, there will be. <laughs> I'm already laughing. Why do seagulls fly over the ocean, Carney? I don't know, Pete. Why? Because if they flew over the bay, we'd call them bagels. <laughs> Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Some shout-outs here. Chris Cahill, seven years at Dice. Sean Reed, director of sales at Leo Force. Couple kids. I didn't first of all, I didn't know Dice was still around. So Cahill, yep. way to way to hang on tight. Uh, Sean Reed started off the street in sales. Now he's a director. Way to go. Gentlemen, what shout-outs do you have? Matt Grover. He's back at Recruitix after a couple months going away from Recruitix. What? Give him a shout-out. Yeah. He left his job and went back to it. So, obviously, the new job didn't work out as well as he thought it would. Is that true, Grover? 
You know, we, we would know if he would come on the show. Yeah, we, we keep inviting him. And uh, so, Sounds like he had a couple months there where he could have come on. We put him on the way. He's always in the waiting room. We just bump him all the time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> who, who else we got? KG, you got, I'm sure you got a list there. Oh, I got a little one. Just uh, uh, this, this is the nice guy in me. I want to wish Brandon Castile a happy birthday. Former oh, yeah, there we go. Career Builder's birthday was on Saturday. Unfortunately, we don't record on Saturday. So this was a belated birthday to Brandon yeah. Castile, former CB, VP of Channel Sales. Now it spins. He's all grown up, guys. How do you know oh, uh, Castile? Yeah. Hey, How many on. times did he try to get Everybody a job there? Knows Brand- Everybody knows Brandon. Come on. Come on. Isn't he that dude that's on Fox uh, on Sundays for the football? What's that comedian? Oh. <laughs> he was in the Marines, and he would turn into a comedian. He does those impersonations. Rob Riggle? Riggle. Why don't you see Riggle and Castile in the same place at the same time? Just saying. I don't think those guys look alike at all. It's close. No. I don't know. I don't right. know. We'll leave it. How about we leave it up to the listeners to decide? Go look up Brandon Castile on LinkedIn and go look up Rob Riggle. On, I mean, he's probably on LinkedIn. Yes or no? That's what we want to know. Like. I don't I think so know. either. Well, who would, which one of them would complain? Riggle. Who doesn't want to look like the other one? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't think Riggle cares. <laughs> <laughs> Riggle, I know you're listening. Yeah, he is. <laughs> hey, right. I, got, I got a shout out to a previous Outmatch colleague. Kim Harmon, who's a customer success manager now at Infor. Um, that's significant because Infor and Outmatch were, were uh, head-to-head or locked in competition for a long time. But I think it's also significant in terms of revenue operations because we were talking about customer success really now being a part of that revenue operations equation, turn, going yep. from you know support to something else. So anyway, uh, great job for Kim, and, uh, and she's super cool and a great person. Infor, isn't that a subsidiary of uh, Dick Four? Oh. Go ahead, Carney. Ask the question. No, I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding that. <laughs> not With the way the cancel culture is today, you ain't getting me anywhere near that comment. Yeah. Bob Gorman, I want to give him a shout out. He uh, just became CEO of... Serendipity brands out of New York. So uh, give a shout out to Bob Gorman. Bob, sounds like somebody should should come on the show or not. Yeah, I'll try to get him on. I know you're 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 burning the candle at both ends there, Carney. Thank you. You know, thank you for all that you do. I did the outline of our book while on uh, vacation. I'm going to add a really? little bit more to it. How many second. how many how many words is that? It was twelve. That's all we got. January, February, yeah. March, April, May, June, July. Well, they say 3,000 to 5,000 words are in a chapter. I'm sure we got a chapter we're in close. there we're somewhere. Close. So last week, uh, you gentlemen were out and about. Any any deaths happen, Farrar? Because nobody dies when you're not on the show. Yeah, I don't, I don't have anybody significant right now, notably for RevOps. Oh, with an yeah. edge. Right. Got to work on that branding, of course. We got to work on the, we got to work on the edgy the edgy death. So, so gentlemen, while you were out gallivanting last week and uh, Kevin and I were here sweating it out, uh, we were, we were talking about, you know, little kiddos coming off the street, graduating college or high school or whatever, because you don't really need a degree to do SDR stuff or is it BDR, ADR, ABM, 
That's a new one. Yeah. No, What's that not. stand for? Account-based marketing? That's not new. I swear that's a bowel movement. But you just wanted to say ABM or IBM. I, I, yeah, that's, that's – and then you got a problem with marketing. Is that like IBS, IB oh, – <laughs> we'll edit that on post. <laughs> so we had a little conversation. We were uh, taking little kiddos along their journey, and then they get smacked in the face with enterprise – you know, I'm not enterprise sales. I think it's the same process that you have at the beginning of sales, at the end of sales. You're just not setting appointments anymore, unless you talk to the machine, Justin Roth Marsh, but whatever. Everybody's got a way of doing things. So you have account executive and then senior account executive. Do we want to talk about that journey? What's what's the difference? You know, how do you start somebody from SDR and enterprise sales? You know, I'll hang up and listen to my answer. It's There's no question that there is a difference because certainly enterprise sales. Well, you know, let, let me let me pose it to the, the other host here. When you think about setting appointments and when you think about closing 20 transactions a month and then you compare that to enterprise sales where you've got. 80 accounts, 60 accounts, 30 accounts that you're that you're managing or calling into. What you know, what are some of those differences? You know, Jamie, Jason, you know, Pete, what what are some of those differences there? And this this sort of lays the stage for why this is not necessarily that transition a foregone conclusion. What are some of those differences? Well, I think with the smaller account base, you're calling into the same, uh, you're calling into higher levels, I think. And you're trying to get a quorum of people uh, behind you on this, this buying decision. So in, in larger companies, it's usually larger deals and it's more commingled. Uh, you might need three or four decision makers to sign off. Maybe there's a key one that can sign off on the whole thing, but there are three or four influencers. And so you're trying to find those influencers, right? Yeah. I think when you have a hundred accounts, one guy might be able to make one person, boy or girl, might be able to make that decision without having an influencer. So you're just trying to find that one. And it's it's tough, I think. It's, it's much more difficult in the more complex companies to find the three or four because there's a lot of people that say they have the abilities. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're, you're looking for a solution at the enterprise level that can be used across the whole business, right? So that's not like, oh, I got a problem in this one marketing division, I'm going to solve it, or the division in Omaha, I'm going to solve that. It's like, how do we solve it across the whole company? And a lot of times across the whole company means, and depending on the size of the company, could mean the CEO gets involved. So if you don't have good relationships built, whatever, if you got, I mean, I think when we all worked together, there were 15 accounts probably was max at the enterprise level. And yeah. that was, how do I sell this thing, but sell this thing so everybody uses it? You know, we used to have this conversation, have a conversation with reps all the time. They're like, I've got all their budget. There's no more money to get out of this company. And we said, well, wait, do they use contract recruiting? Well, yes, they do. Okay, well, there's all the rest of your budget. Like you don't have that yeah. yet. Go, go, go. And it was like this detective work to get across the whole company. And so, That's right. um, I mean, I've seen, I've seen SDRs used in that respect, which is teams of AE, enterprise AEs and SDRs. So the SDRs are, I don't think of it as even just as appointment setting. I think of it as, as a team, we can get deeper into the company faster 
if we if we work together on how to do that. Now that requires a good relationship between those two, which is a whole nother column of conversation on do those two people get along and things like that. But as at the enterprise level, it's like I got to go do something across the whole company. Yeah, I, it's it's the definition of transactional versus strategic. Yeah, it's such a you know when you're calling into 15 accounts or or 13 accounts. By the way, I actually had an SDR team that called current count current accounts like you're describing, Jason. We and yeah. I called them uh, I called them the tree shaking team because they were yeah. literally going throughout <laughs> the, the these strategic accounts and they would shake the trees and see if some fruit would yeah. you know pop out. Right. right. Then, Who's doing and, this? Who's doing that? Would do they have a problem there? Yes. Guess what? You didn't know that this was going on over in this little corner of the business, you know? That, that's right. Uh, one thing yeah. I learned from uh, from Will Emmons and Brian Carrillo uh, from uh, the CB days is this blueprinting process that that he talks about there. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that, that's an amazing process to understand the whole organization. And frankly, there's a lot of inside sales reps that just can't make that transition because they can't think big picture. I literally had a salesperson that I promoted, this is 10 years ago, not at ZipRecruiter. I promoted her from inside sales. She was amazing at inside sales. She would work her ass off and she would make hundreds of calls a day. And then when I gave her 30 accounts, she would hammer those 30 accounts and those six people every single day to where I literally found out. I went to the one of the clients in San Diego and they said, you know, when she calls, we're all sitting in an open room and we can see the phone number lighting up and they say, okay, so-and-so's calling. Right. The yeah. office. That, that's how bad it was because there was no strategy, no, no forethought into how to penetrate this organization with the exception of just hammering them with calls. So that, that is a tough transition for SDRs and inside salespeople to make when you're, okay, now I have 70 accounts. You have to make your whole nut for the whole year on 70 accounts, as opposed to you have 500 accounts to make uh, 500 accounts to, to make appointments, or you're getting, you know, 500 leads a month. That, that's, yeah. a- I mean, that's a similar, similar issue. Like I've got a really awesome sales rep. I'm going to make them a sales manager. Like the, those transitions are really difficult, you know, because what, what makes someone good at one thing doesn't mean they're going to be good at the other. And as much as we sweat onboarding and training for new employees, I don't sweat the transition from SDR to AE. <laughs> like, where's the playbook on transition from SDR to AE? I'm sure companies have that. I have not worked at one that has one. It's just like, oh, you're really awesome at this, so go into that job. Well, it doesn't work for obvious reasons. And some, sometimes it does. It's not a categorical statement. Yeah, if all you know is I got to make a 200 calls a day. I don't, Pete, I don't remember the number. I think it was 125. If I got to make 125 calls a day, you now I only have 11 accounts. Well, God, I'm, how do I make 125 calls a day into 11 accounts without being public enemy number one? A thousand percent. So how do you, yeah. how do you think about nature versus nurture, Pete? Like, are there, there's things we can train, like there's things we can train and how to make that, that transition. We can provide them with templates on blueprinting and things like that. But like, what are some of those? In, I mean, you know, Pete, you've had hundreds of people go from your org into enterprise. Like what, what are some of those X factors, those nature factors uh, that are needed to try and make that transition? Because that's critical. pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good percentage is mental. It's like, oh, my God, these are these are big accounts. 
you know, it's still the same sales process. Now, depending if you're an appointment setter, you got to get to the, let's just say it's small business. You get the small leads, you get small business. You have to get to the owner, okay? You get in the enterprise world, you have to get the owner of the profit centers or whatever you want to call them, all the different decision makers and round them up. It's It's the same process. That's what I try to tell the kids is, hey, don't overthink it. Whatever the product is, there's different different factions at the company that can use your product. All right. So who 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 owns the uh, the buying rights for for that profit center? And then ultimately, it's the CEO. So you, so you're looking to get what's a fancy word a coach? You want somebody to help you out as you go along the way. So instead of having 500 leads, you got 15. But in those 15, there could be you know 100 decision makers or you know whatever. So. Don't overthink it. Do your homework. Get to the decision maker. You do that, and, and you'll be fine. Don't overthink it, guys. My opinion on SDRs at the enterprise level, where they only have ten to fifteen accounts or twenty accounts, right? They got to make all these calls. Now, I think a, a smart way to structure someone's comp plan, like a new hunter's comp plan. Let's say their variable is one hundred and fifty. You should carve out like fifty thousand and say that's for to make sure the renewals are going on. Right. And, and so therefore 50,000 or, or 25% of your variable goes on renewals, even though you're not, you're out there hunting, you want to make sure what you sold them comes through and you want to support that and also not infiltrate the renewal. Piece. And then what you should do with these SDRs is have those SDRs, maybe a third of their time, go and look at all the usage stats of the software that you sold them. And, and those are your accounts. You only have 20, 30 accounts. Go into those accounts that aren't, using because there's a lot of people that buy and then never implement or don't implement it correctly or love the idea but change is a hard thing to occur you need SDRs. i know customer success should do this but customer success is typically focused on these huge accounts you want somebody who's a a a lower cost to call just all these users that haven't been using your product you've got the lists most of the time in, in these software where they set up 100 licenses and only 20 of them called. They should be calling the other 80 and spend a third of their time on there to sort of support the renewal. And also, that will help you, Kevin, what you were saying is shake the tree, right? So if you, if you structure it this way, they can shake the tree on your account, also help customer success, where customer success might be spending most of their time with maybe one level too high. And, the, and these SDRs can spend a lot of time hitting their call volume numbers if they have call volume numbers, but also help shake the tree and, and help implement the, 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 the usage. What's the first level you get to? Is it account executive? Can everybody agree on that? Yeah. So you have, a, so they go from, what's the biggest difference from SCR to account executive? And then what's the di- difference between account executive and senior account executive? Is that the highest level at enter- enterprise sales or what? what's the term now? Ma- major account manager is what I see most. Like okay, a, major. Okay, a RAM, so, a regional account manager. And then, yeah, I mean, I think there are VPs of regions and stuff like that. Tell me the biggest difference besides that. There's fewer accounts that are wider. How, how you get paid? Yeah, a huge difference, I think, for being an SDR to an AE. I think SDRs are getting paid on either stupid metrics like appointment set or uh-huh. brilliant metrics like deals sold, but they're not, they, there's not as much at stake in some way in their comp plans most of the time. And then you become an AE and it's like, okay, well, it's sort of like being a restaurant server, you know, you get a salary, but 
<laughs> really, you're, well, doing, I mean, you're working on tips. Well, an A, so. isn't an A running <laughs> the appointment or an SDR setting the appointment? I mean, isn't that really bottom line? I mean, mm-hmm. I think it depends on the company. Depends on the size of the deal in a lot of ways. Depends on what the appointment is. If it's a demo, maybe the SDR is doing it. You know, I mean, again, it's just like being in a restaurant. You have a server and they take your order, but the people who bring the food are oftentimes different, right? So there's a, however big the company is in the size of the purchase, you may be really coordinating five people. You may have a couple of sales engineers, you may have yeah. a, some other account manager. So I, I think it varies well, in the responsibility. Let's stick with the account executive, okay? The SDR, they got to account executive. Tell me what is so different about being an account executive, a strategic account executive, and a major account executive. What makes them oh. so special? You know what, uh, you know, Pete, they always say opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one and they all stink. So I'm going to throw my opinion in there. Um, in reality, we're dealing with a situation where the SDR is only focused on the top third of the sales funnel and, and that's it. And it's highly transactional where I see the SDRs that fail when they become AEs is that organizationally, like to be organized, they need to know how to manage their their pipeline uh, and manage their pipeline and know that, hey, this deal may not be coming in today, it may be coming in four months from now. And how they how they stay organized is, uh, you know, is a challenge. And I feel like, you know, when I was asking that nature versus nurture question, you know, somebody who is innately organized is uh, is someone who's going to do better as they transition from that SDR into that AE role, because, as, as we all know, you've got to build up pipeline coverage of 3x, 4x, 5x, depending on your, your you know, metrics and conversions of pipeline and, and you know, funnel to get to, your, you know, to get to your, your number there. And there's some, some SDRs that I've seen personally that they just can't, they can't make that, that transition. They're, they're just not organized. They can't keep their shit together. That's pretty difficult for some of those SDRs. And they they fail. You know what the problem is, though, in today's economy? It's such a, a job seeker, uh, job seekers market that they fail as an AE when they transition from SDR to AE. But then what happens? They just go get another job someplace else and get a 20, 30 percent raise. Yeah, yeah. yeah they don't economy. go back to being SDRs. No, they, they will absolutely not. And then and then they start believing that they're actually worth what they're worth. But anyway, uh, I took your soapbox away, Jason, and I was standing on it for a second. But I'm going to throw that's it. Good. We can <laughs> we, we can talk about that some other time. But that but that you know, Pete, that's my opinion and in, in how it's difficult to make that transition. But then I think when you go from AE to let's say major or key accounts on the enterprise or strategic side, this is far more of a team sport, and that is where I see additional failure when you've got that eagle who originally can close deals on their own as an AE. So they're good there. But then just like you said, they need to bring in their boss. They may need to bring in their VP to go head to head with the VP at the client side. You need to bring in the sales engineer. Maybe you want to bring in customer success early to make sure that things are set up properly so that this thing, you know, has a good chance of renewing 12 months, you know, from now. And I've definitely seen that kind of failure where, these sales reps are are good and they get out in the field and they believe it's still a you know a solo sport and they forget that enterprise selling is absolutely a team sport. We win deals together and we lose deals together. We win deals d- together and we lose deals together. Pete, you're shaking your head. What do you think? 
Uh, well, this is RevOps with an edge. I think that it's how you get paid. You're th- instead of thinking quarterly, you're yeah. thinking annually, right? And then the sales cycle takes longer to happen. I think SDRs so, are thinking monthly, right? SDRs think monthly. Yeah, short term. Probably. Well, well, monthly a with a quarterly brand. true up if you do it right. Well, yeah, but I think they're thinking monthly. They're living paycheck to paycheck. You got to remember, these guys are right out of school. Maybe those Rams or those AEs. Yeah, they've got roommates. I think in yeah, I think in quarterly six months they might be annually, but they just have a lower nut. And then the majors for sure in the software world have you know annual, and all they're thinking about is Q4, and all they're really thinking about is December of Q4, right? I mean, let's be honest, the hockey stick of the software sales cycle is December of Q4. Is it better to take your own people, move them up from the BDR to the AE, or? Higher from the outside. Just curious what your what your thoughts are. Bringing in somebody else's bad habits. <laughs> that was not a loaded question. Bring in somebody else's <laughs> bad habits. <laughs> Pete, Pete, why don't you tell us what you really think? I'm just asking him. A guy here asking. You know, just well. Hopefully, I, hopefully, I, in your interview process, you're weeding. You're finding somebody else's bad habits and not hiring that person. You know, I don't know if that, that's not always possible, obviously, but like, hope's that's not a, a strategy. That's a procedural either. question, right? <laughs> I was going to say probably like 80, 20, 80% inside, 20% outside. Hopefully you get a home, home run with somebody who failed somewhere else, or you just found someone somewhere else that had good behaviors. I'm not saying they always have to come over to you from failing, but probably 80, 20. The reality well, is though, it's probably 50, 50, right? Probably even less. What's the fancy term? Boomerang? Uh, you got to have a process in place that you you move them from uh, BDR SDR up to the next level, and whatever whatever the time period is, they don't make it. You got to introduce them back into what they were doing before versus training somebody training them for another company. You, did you have something like that, KG? We absolutely did, and it was extremely objective. Most people considered it a, like a promotion path. In reality, is a pro it was a promo and a demo path. And it was very clear. And, you know, without burying the lead, we lost very few people that got demoted from roles where they got promoted up into something. And I'll explain. Hmm. So the, the structure that we created was extremely objective. One where overperformers, overperformer being above quota, 120%, 130%, 150%, whatever it was, if they did that consistently over a period of time, earn a promotion into the next level up. And the next level up, they'd get better accounts, better comp, uh, better base salary, bigger quota, you know, all that, all that kind of good, good stuff. But we also established minimum thresholds, minimum thresholds below quota. And we were also very clear there. So while you can get promoted by consistently exceeding quota over a defined period of time. You could also get demoted by being below minimum for uh, a defined period of time. And what was great about this was it was very crystal clear. It was written right into the commission plan. Note to self, note to your future leaders out there. But what was even better about this is that let's just say that you got, you had a couple of great quarters, Jamie, and you got promoted into the enterprise role. And now you're a first time enterprise person. Your base salary went up big time and you're feeling really good about yourself. But now you're shit in the bed and you're below minimum. You're not making really good money. Here's the key. What we did was we laddered the compensation such that if you were underperforming that role to which you got promoted, 
If you were underperforming, you actually would be making less money than your previous role from which you got promoted. Does that make sense? In other words, you looked at the money you were making in the previous role and you went, I am not doing very good here. I can be demoted into the role below me and make more money than I am right more now. Money. Yep. Yeah. And, and so we had people, in fact, coming to us saying, you know what? I'm not doing so well. Will you demote me now? Are you kidding me? But that's that's how it was set up. And so I'm shocked you had people doing that because there is an ego in that that comes into play. I didn't think it would work. Let me be honest with you. When we implemented it. 2015, I thought for that exact same reason. Now, am I saying that 100 percent, 100% took it and uh, and took their demotion? No, there were definitely people that were had egos and were like, "Screw this, and I'm leaving." But for the the vast majority, they'd get that demotion, and they knew they had an objective chance to get back up yeah. there again, and they knew exactly why they didn't, you know, get where they needed to be. You know, for the future leaders out there that are talking about creating these promotion paths. In fact, one of our listeners asked me to talk about this, you know, they're trying to, you know, create this path. This is, you know, to, to Peter's, you know, Pete's point, excuse me. I don't know who the hell Peter is. Um, (laughs) To to Pete's point. um, That's what she said. (laughs) ABM, Peter, this is awful. So going off the rails quickly. Oh my God, here we go. Here we go. You've anointed yourself. AG, you're additive to the, to the goal. Yeah, exactly. The crudeness. It's all good. Uh Having that having that promotion and demotion path creates the ability to reduce your hiring mistakes. You make a hiring mistake uh, because you hired somebody from the outside. You can demote them into a into a role below, below. but you'd better. But if you can then take these SDRs that are known quantities and promote them up. But if they fail, they can move back down. You don't lose them. You don't lose them. They don't go to another organization that you're reducing the cost of your hiring mistakes when you when you can create that career path from SDR to AE to key accounts, et cetera. Now, well, that works. Today's climate, would that work? Because in today's climate, would that work? Because it's so hard right now with the labor shortage out there to keep any talent. I think the ego would play a game maybe in the next six to 12 months while you know, you basically have a pulse, you can get a sales job. It's probably harder, but let me ask you a question. If you had two companies, one that had no promotion demotion path and one that, that one that did, which one's going to be more attractive to outside candidates? Personally, I would go for the promotion path because I would, I would bet on myself is the way I would. Yeah, exactly. But, and that's the, and, and yes, your point is in this market, somebody gets demoted, they're going to be like, screw that. And they're going to go someplace else. And we all know, they think the grass is greener and it may not be. Yeah. They're, they're I, know, I agree with you. Them. So having it versus not having it is beneficial. Does it work 100% of the time? No. What I experienced was that most people were able to put, were able to put their ego aside because they knew that they were going to make more money in a known yeah. quantity as opposed to taking a new job. But the market, the, Jamie, you're so right. The market these days, it's so crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. KG, uh-huh. I would, I would bet, yeah, I would bet one of the things that you did that made that successful is about transparency and communication. I think it works because it works for the people who are money motivated, but it also works for the people who want to be somewhere because they believe in the, in the organization. If you're transparent, and you communicate that well, there are people who will say, well, actually they care about me and they're investing in me in this way, right? 
And it's so the risk, my risk reward equation is not as scary at this business because they're telling me what's going to happen. I know already what's going to happen. And two, they're believing in me and they're going to help me either way. I think that's a huge part of it. I, I have experienced doing something like that pre, in a previous job. And, but my, my, my interest more, KG, is how did you communicate that to people? And what, did, how, what was that communication like? What was it, how did people receive it? Because I'm betting that that was a big part of why it was successful. Yeah, let me uh, tell you a story about my last company. I was the chief sales officer at Upkeep recently. Uh, when I first got there, I interviewed, quote unquote, 40, all 40 salespeople. It's like first two weeks, I'm like, I want to sit down with each one of them. And I had some very definitive questions to ask them. One of the questions I asked them was, hey, how do you get fired around here? Do you know what your performance yeah. standards are? How do you get your ass fired around here? I'm not kidding you. 40 different answers. And then I said, yeah. how do you feel about that? And they're like, it's kind of, I'm going to use big words here. It was disconcerting. That was, mm -hmm. that's, you know, generally speaking, that was there. They were confused by it. It scared them, that uncertainty, it scared them. You know, and I'm talking about people that are ages 24 to 35, okay? But it doesn't matter what their age is. It still was like, well, I don't know how do I get fired around here. I guess it's if I'm below quota, I, but I don't know if that's the case or not. And that that's scary, you know. And to your point, by the way, Jason, you know, there's this thing, again, this is totally cerebral or whatever, but like Maslow's hierarchy of needs yes, is this totally. pyramid. And, and at the very basis is security, okay? Yes. So to your point, to your point. We literally put the termination language into the commission plan crystal clear. And the promotion path was a separate document because it was role-based and it was published in Salesforce. You go to the solutions tab and you could pull it down. I don't think they have the solutions tab anymore, but it was crystal clear. And strangely enough, Jason, we had this very experienced, high paid enterprise salesperson about nine years ago that was at uh, my former company. And she was offended by the fact that that demotion and termination language was in the plan. And she was like, this is childish and yeah. offensive that you need to put this in here and da, 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 da. And it was one of the reasons why she quit. That's not the right fit. Not the right fit. Hundreds right. and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other salespeople were like, thank you. Thank yeah. you for, thank you for making it crystal clear. I know exactly where we stood and yeah. you know how I knew that it was the right thing to do because people that were, again, I'm going to use a big phrase here, shit in the bed, write that down, Jamie, people that were shit in the bed. And, uh, how do you spell that? <laughs> it's, 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 they would come to us on the last day of the month and they would say, so I'm, I'm likely not going to make it. Yep. What do we do? What do we do next? And having yeah. that level of clarity allowed us to have these like professional conversations and not be in any sort of like, you know, legal hot water because we were super clear and, and black and white about how people I think that is the missing element in everything that is done in corporate America, especially in the sales side. You need to be super clear, take the decision making of when you're putting someone on plan out of the... RVP or the VP or the manager's hands, have it in the contract so that RVP can play the role of coach 
and not play the role of enforcer and the guy who delivers the bad news, but one that's really trying to coach you out of the bad news. Where they come in, I think, Pete, you actually, I'm going to give you credit here. You did a very good job. It was crystal clear when, when you were running your crew, what was good and what was bad and what would happen. And they could work their way out of it. You know, they could get on plan for maybe 30 days, but there was a clear path. A lot of times when these companies put someone on plan, it really comes off almost personal because they're, they're putting them on plan. They're giving them then some sort of vague plan, um, numbers tip plan that, let's be honest, they know that this, this rep would never be able to hit. But if you yeah, had everything worked out completely clear, then it'll be great. And I know we're talking about SDRs. We're talking about getting a job. So this is a whole separate point that made me think about all this when we were talking. SDRs, you're starting a job in SDR. A lot of companies out there right now are spinning up SDR and BDR departments within their organization, right? If they haven't already. If you're a new hire into an SDR department, you better understand what that path is to a sales job or something like that. There are certain companies out there that are starting SDR and BDR departments that know there's a two-year shelf life and actually are making that decision behind the scenes, never to advertise it to you, but are like, we know we're just going to burn through these people. And we're fine with that. So if you're going in there thinking, hey, I'm going to get into this software business and I'm working with these 56-year-old sales reps and I'm 24, there's a gap there in experience. If there's not a path for you to get to that sales role, you should know right out the gate, I'm just going to get an SDR role and I'm moving somewhere else. And maybe that's fine. But they'll never tell you that. But that's really what's going on sometimes behind the scenes. I'll leave you with three things as, as we're getting to the fourth quarter of the show. The boomerang, whatever you want to call it, to save those people, let's say you can save 20% of those people that were, would go somewhere else. That can pay for your recruiting team. That can pay for your training okay. team. You know, right there, that's something to think about. Number two, the the enterprise world we're talking more revenue than bookings or invoicing whatever the term is that you want to use and carney you talk about revenue shouldn't be responsibility of the rep it should be the res- responsibility of the operations right yeah right so that's that's something figuring out that long term that in our world kg what drove me crazy was when you moved up to the next level you had these really fancy sales reps that got paid on revenue would spend half their time posting and editing jobs because they didn't get paid unless the revenue showed up and the job was used. That just drove me nuts. Well, yeah, I agree with that. Like if a rep, and I, I know we saw that behavior as well. If a, if a rep gets moved up and all they're doing is account management, well, let's call them account managers in that rep. Yeah. Right. And if they're paid on revenue, that's probably what's going to happen because it's low hanging fruit easy for me to just go through the accounts and get them to use the product rather than call to get new product. It's just an easier path. It's a less resistant way saying, Hey, you bought a hundred units. Let's use those hundred units now. And I can hit my number. Right. So get them off of revenue, get them off of usage, maybe carve out, like I said, maybe carve out 20% of their variable to be tied to the usage so that they're not disrupting that usage and going in and saying, screw renewing that, those products by these products, you know, um, but carve that out. So it's particular, it's a small portion of the variable. It's something they want to pay attention to. 
but I don't think you should ever have them on revenue or use on revenue. You know what? I don't think I fully understood that. Yeah, Jamie, you're saying a salesperson should not be measured on revenue. revenue. It should be measured on billings or uh, like a, a true salesperson on billings or uh, ACV. You know what I mean? Like of new ACV of new billings and only and have them. What, what's ACV, please? Annual contract value. So have them focused on new. Have them have a very small percentage of their variable on the renewal portion so they're not disrupting the renewal portion. Because what mm -hmm. happens with these companies is they're selling A and B products. They go out and buy C products. I don't mean it in, in degradation of products. It's just a, a portfolio. They go and buy the, 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 this new product. They go to the, uh, if you don't have them tied to the renewal, what will happen is they'll go to their current customers and say, hey, I know a renewal's coming up for these two products that you already bought. Don't renew those products. Spend all your money with this product. They get paid on this product, not on the other two that have already been up for renewal. So you got to have some sort of tie there, but you want to make it so it's not blended together so they're not focused on the renewal. They're focused on the new. Does that make sense? I'm going to... Yeah, yeah, that's assuming that AE though is selling new products to existing accounts, right? Because, like, if I think about the job my wife has, I mean, her—I honestly don't know what the title is—but her, her job is selling uh, products to existing accounts. Her job is not bringing in a new account, and there's a different side of business almost doing that. And so, it just depends on how you set up the set up the org. The challenge there, of course, is getting an account manager who can sell. Like that's a that's a whole other topic we could do, Pete. How do you get an account manager who can keep them happy and sell new stuff? Well, you I, can't. I think, yeah, let me just jump all over that. You know, <laughs> I feel like um, you know, Jamie, you 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 didn't know it, but you know, in your diatribe over the last three minutes, what you just described, you said focus like seven times. Focus, yes. focus, 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 and that's what's key. Right there, and I and I feel, and again for our listeners that are the new sales leaders out there, uh, you know, once you get past this a startup stage where everyone's wearing hats and you're trying to yeah. you know, think about scale, that that focus is critically important. And if you if you expect a salesperson to be everything, to be I'm gonna okay if you okay I always used to say, and this is meant to be a joke, if you have a salesperson that's interviewing and says. They do really good at prospecting, really good at pipeline management, really good at proposing, really good at closing new business, really good at managing existing accounts, and really good at, at uh, securing the renewal. You've got a liar on your hands. Like if if you because if you if you hear somebody say that they can do all of those things at an exceptional level, they're absolutely lying to you. You know, Pete, you got a football background. How many people play both? defense and offense how many oh you can do it for a couple plays exactly then you're done exactly so 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 jamie the solution uh you know this, how many uh how many knees have you had replaced like three knees been replaced of yours one thing you forgot to throw in there kg was all that stuff to do it well and then you have some of these companies smaller companies that will make those people the leader as well we want you to lead the team and oh, sell yeah. Oh yeah, team lead, team lead. Yeah, don't get me started. That soapbox, put the soapbox away, Jason. Yeah, so so Jamie, you're 100% right. And I, and I would agree with you that either the solution is compensation-based, 
where you're, you're saying 80% of your comp is focused on new business with your current customers, or you separate out the roles. And so now you say, my new business people only work with new customers. My existing, my existing accounts uh, salespeople work you know, with the current customers that are doing business with us already. And even still, you know, breaking it down even to further levels. We did a time motion study of our enterprise salespeople. And Jamie, we found the same thing where they were working on the dumbest stuff that was not revenue generating, you know, fixing um, XML feeds and, and optimizing job descriptions. And we're like, that is not their highest and best use. And we actually hired two additional roles underneath. One was the technical, what do we call them? I don't even know. It was a technical role that was focused on reporting and feeds breaking and a whole host of like tech type of stuff. And then there was this other role that was sort of customer service, sort of customer success that was responsible for some of those other types of, you know, hey, my you know, jobs aren't performing as well. I need, you know, need to optimize this and need help with this. I'm not getting as many candidates from this job. Uh, it takes, you're right, Jamie, it takes away from the focus of going and getting whatever it is you want them to do, you know, sell a new product line into current customers or, or new business. Amen, Jamie. Amen. Well, it's been a great, great sermon, guys. I'm not sure who the priest was. <laughs> <laughs> we thank everybody for listening to The Sassholes. On behalf of Jason, Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening and ask you to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our newsletter. We thank you for listening. Cue the music. Music.